0: Good morning, Springs Community Church, everybody watching online, those who call this place home even though we gather virtually, and those who are checking this out online for the first time. My name is John. I serve as pastor here at the Springs, and I'm so excited to be with you guys this morning. Before we jump into the passage, pray with me. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the gift of gathering your body united even though we are spread across. We need your help, God. We are asking that you, Holy Spirit, would come to us believers and invade our hearts and help us to be more like you, to be more loving, to be more gracious, to be more full of a true conviction of who you are, how we are to live, how we both love you and then live for you. And Father, we are praying that your spirit would change eternities, that you would shift souls, claim them as yours. I can't do that. No, no great sermon can do that. Uh, only you can. Father, we're also asking for the families that in the midst of the kiddos running around or the friends hanging out and talking or back and forth, and when what can be at times, at least for me in my experience, the chaos of a Sunday morning gathering while we watch virtually, I pray you'd give us a clarity and a soft heart to help us to hear your word. We love you. We thank you. Amen. Guys, I want to start by talking about role models. Like, I would ask you, you sitting there on the couch, on your phone, on your tablet, wherever you are, who are your role models? A lot of times as you grow up, you become adulting or adulthood. You almost stop to think this way, but it's something a lot of times kids talk about or parents talk about with kids. Like, I think back on my own life, and I knew some standout role models that I had. For me growing up, I had the privilege, my mom and my dad were and still are huge role models in my life. I could look to them for to be an example in work, in life, in conduct, and everything. Another example, I can remember in third grade, I was huge into baseball, as generally a lot of third grade guys are. And I can remember I played for the Cardinals. That was the name of my little league team at Hobgood Park in Woodstock, Georgia. We were the Cardinals. That same time, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were battling out for the batting record. I could remember I would wake up before school would start. I'd go into the kitchen. We had this tiny little black and white TV. You could turn the knobs to find different channels. I'd set it to ESPN, and I'd get the update to see if Sammy Sosa had hit a home run, if Mark McGuire had hit a home run. Mark McGuire eventually goes on to hit 70 home runs. He shatters the record. He was on the Cardinals. I was on the Cardinals. I basically was Mark McGuire, except nowhere near as athletically gifted. And I'm watching it, and I loved it. Years later, I came to find out, though some had expected it long before, Mark McGuire had used performance-enhancing drugs, role model. I can remember, in set politics aside for this one, I can remember my dad talking about President Bill Clinton at the time. I can remember my dad talking about President Bill Clinton as this example of public speaking because Clinton was able to do what I cannot, and that is give a speech with his arms straight to the side like this. I can remember my dad pointing that out. I can remember wanting to exemplify that even though a couple years ago I just gave up. It's not who I am. I can also remember as a kid watching the Monica Lewinsky trials. Role models, the good, the bad. I can remember, even as I, uh, before I became a Christian and then after becoming a Christian, I had these spiritual role models, these tremendous men of faith who had impacted my life, who unpacked truth, who changed the trajectory of my pursuit of Jesus Christ. And some of them, far more than what should be, are no longer even in ministry due to moral, moral failure, burnout, emotional dishealth, a myriad of reasons role models. The other thing that I've noticed, and this is speaking for me, when I think about role models, places you look to for guidance, places you look to as an example, people or institutions you look to, you can follow. I've just grown in the increasing sense of almost distrust. It was interesting, even as I prepared for that, I was able to look up where Americans or with trust. I couldn't find in research where Christians, or or even a broader term, evangelicals, even those we've talked about in the past, you need to be careful with that term. But I was able to stumble across, I'm not the only one who has trust issues. I'm not the only one who, when they're wondering, who do I follow? Who's the right role model? No one's perfect, but who is generally setting a great, consistent example? I'm not the only one. A Pew Research study, it was a poll done in December, 2018. They asked Americans about their increasing distrust of institutions and leaders. First institution they talked about was members of Congress. Now you could ask about how ethical members of Congress were and they gave you a, a rating scale. How often did members of Congress, or as these other institutions and people will talk about, how often do you think or perceive they act unethically? The options were all of the time, most of the time, some of the time, occasionally, never. That two-thirds section, from all of the time to some of the time, 81% of Americans say that they believe, they think, they perceive members of Congress to act unethically at least some of the time. Not occasionally, not rarely, at least some. Our institutions and political leaders, we tolerate a sense of they act unethically at least some of the time. And even as I say this, guys, this poll came from December 2018. Think of all that's changed from then to now. I'd be interested to know what the poll would be today. The next one they talked about was journalists, right? If, if members of Congress come and bring law, right and wrong, journalists come in the proclamation of what is fact and true. Even as I say that, some of you laugh at home. They said in December 2018, 66% of Americans view journalists as to act unethically, at least some of the time, not occasionally, not rarely. Leaders of tech companies, titans of industry, people when growing up and going to college or high school and entrepreneurial mindset, you say, I want to pattern my life after them. 77% say they act unethically at least some of the time. Finally, religious leaders. Now, this would be religious leaders across all faiths. Look at what this is. 69% of Americans say religious leaders, act unethically at least some of the time. Not occasionally. Not rarely. Here's why I'm sharing this. We're in a culture where what we should have is beautiful role models. We should have people that you could pattern your life after. There's this language all throughout the New Testament, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, where Jesus is pleading with you as he exemplified, set an example in speech, in conduct, in faithfulness, in purity, in love. We are called, as we pursue Christ, to follow the examples of others. But what do you do when it's hard to find a role model? What do you do when you don't know who to trust? What do you do when the political leaders you've put a trust in, a hope that they would bring a change? They let you down? They change their word? They give a sense of betrayal? What do you do when the religious leaders, the pastors, where churches and institutions have come and not in love, but in a sense of condescension, have broken the spirits of many people in this country? Who do you follow? Who do you trust? Guys, the reason I'm so excited to talk about this is because I think now, culturally, we are in the midst of a time where we don't know who to follow, we don't know who to trust, where we are looking for the sense of which direction is actually true north because there's plenty of people claiming what is true north. They say it's this way, they say it's this way. You can go politically, socially, economically, any way. They say this is true. But we sit in this world of misinformation and distrust, where we look at our leaders and their continued sense of character failure, and we wonder, I don't know if I want to follow you. So who do we follow? What direction does that look? Today, guys, I'm so excited to talk about how there is one person, not an institution, not not a place not a political party, not an agenda, not a titan of industry, nothing like that. There is a person that you and I are meant to follow. We, the church, the people of God, we are called to follow the way of Jesus. We follow the way of Jesus. And if you're watching this and you don't believe in Jesus, or perhaps you're watching this and you think, you know, a lot of the problems today, it's actually because of people who claim to be following the way of Jesus. I want to put two things before you. The first is, stay with me while I talk about what does it mean to actually follow the way of Jesus. Because oftentimes people say that. But that's not the substance, the direction of their soul, the character of their being. So stay with me as I outline what I really mean by follow the way of Jesus. Second, when we look at the world, are we growing in unity? Are we growing in love? Are we growing in a sense of connection? Or is the world slowly tearing apart? I'm not saying this is true everywhere. Think about it even here. Think about it in your local local community. Think about it on your social media news feed. Are we growing in that love? And if not, I'd say it's because people have generally forsaken following the way of Jesus. And that's why today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're continuing our series through 2 Timothy. It's this beautiful letter that the Apostle Paul, he wrote to this church planter, church leader, Timothy. This one he treated almost like a son. And he's writing to him to strengthen him in the midst of difficulty. And what Paul's going to talk to him about today is, hey, Timothy, follow the way of Jesus. He's gonna actually use it through the lens of Hey Timothy. Follow my example, and then as we'll unpack, we'll see that Paul followed the example of Christ. But follow the way of Jesus. He's gonna do this in three ways. He's gonna talk about how you follow the way of Jesus. First, you hold fast to godly convictions. Second, you hold fast to godly character, and third, hold fast in ungodly persecution. If you've been working our way with us through Second Timothy, here's, here's what you know. Almost the past two chapters, to varying degrees, two chapters, Paul is right in the middle of this beautiful manifesto, an, an opus, this symphony and sermon on the beautiful statement of truth. The reality of God's word, its impact to the soul, what it means for the life, how God uses truth to set people free. Best illustration I can think about it, it's in the personification of Jesus Christ, how Jesus Christ is the one who like a slave during American slavery would escape by way of night and run and they'd fix their eyes, their heart on the North Star. Why? They ran that star down towards freedom. How following the way of Jesus is running towards freedom. This week, we're going to talk about generally how you follow truth. Next week, we'll see how you trust truth. If if you have discouragement, disconnection, disbelief when it comes to God's word, come back next week. The third thing we'll talk about is how you preach truth. You talk about it. You live it. You tell the world why it beckons and calls to freedom. So grab your Bible or, or grab your iPhone or whatever you got going on at home and read with me 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 10 through 13. You, however, he's talking now, Paul to Timothy. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and implied, my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Hear this, church. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, contextually, if you remember, and this is where we'll go next week, it's going to continue to build into the bedrock, how the authority of God's word, it's true. But before we jump to that, I want to talk about again, what is Paul saying? What is Paul pleading with Timothy? Through the example of his life, he's pleading with him, follow the way of Jesus. But the first way he says that we do that is we hold fast to godly convictions. Let me show you this from the passage. The first thing it starts out with really exemplifying Timothy is a different leader. If you were with us last week, we we talked about how in the midst of the church, there can be these Christian, false, um, apostate, imposters, counterfeits that come in the tone's changing because right here Paul's reminding Timothy, Timothy that's not you you're different, you lead different you love different and why is Timothy different he's following a different way and it's a way of conviction he's imitating his life after the apostle Paul what does it look like when he does that Paul says you have followed my teaching my conduct, my aim in life my faith These four things, they they speak to conviction. So what is Paul saying here? My, My teaching, this would be doctrine. This would be the beautiful truths of God. The reality that you don't need to become anything in order to be loved and saved and forgiven by Jesus Christ. You need to recognize you're a sinner in need of a savior. He loves you and you live for him. The beauty that once you know it, the doctrine, you can't lose it. What relationship in your life is marked by an unconditional commitment like that. Your relationship with God, whether you feel it, sense it, cling to it, claim it or not, it's founded on it. It's infused with that. Paul's saying he's followed his teaching. The next thing he says is his conduct. That's just his lifestyle. That's just the reality that when you know truth, truth has this ability to beautifully overflow. How Timothy was able to look at the conduct of Paul's lifestyle and say, man, that is a life of conviction. Third thing he says is my aim in life. I love that. It's purpose. We we exist in a world where people are doing anything and everything generally outside of God to find meaning in purpose and direction. And Paul's saying right here, Timothy, you have seen my purpose from the start. And what was Paul's purpose? And this isn't just because he was an apostle. This was because he was a saved believer in Jesus. It was to know God, to make him known, till his last breath. Do you know your purpose? Is that something you hold with conviction? And then his final one, my faith. This, it speaks to both like the reality of like, save faith, we talked about in teaching, but it's also this idea of like faithfulness. Paul's not claiming here to be perfect. Paul's not claiming here to have his life all together. Thank God he's not. But he's saying his faithfulness is a mark of conviction, and it's one. Whereas he appeals to Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, you can follow this. My first question for us today as we think about this passage, as we think about, we want to follow Jesus. Because if you're there and you believe in Jesus Christ, wherever you are on this journey, it is a journey. It is not a destination. It is a journey. Like I would ask, is this journey for you marked by a deep abiding sense of conviction or opinion? Conviction. opinion. And I'll give you an illustration of what I mean by that. Conviction is something that holds you. An opinion is what you hold. A conviction is something you cling to uncompromising. Opinions, we compromise. The greatest way in my life I think about this is like when I go to exercise. Like I exercise not with a sense of conviction, but with opinion. Here's what I mean. Okay, for me, I'm going to go jog one mile. Yeah, you can judge me. That's not that far, but it's super far from me, right? I'm going to go jog one mile. About halfway through that mile, I know I'm led more by opinion because even though my body's not giving way, even though I'm not in tremendous pain, even though I'm at no medical risk, I'm like, you know, this is kind of hard. I think I'm going to walk. And I start thinking about, man, I-, I jogged half a mile. I wonder if I could go get dessert, right? I'm led by opinion. Why? It's compromising versus the person who jogs the mile by conviction where they say, I'm getting there no matter the cost. When it comes to your pursuit of Christ, is this something of conviction where because the Holy Spirit indwells you, permeates your soul, you're held by it? Or is this something more to do with opinion, personality, background, and culture? are these convictions. I can remember in my own life, there was a gal who played an amazing role. I have such deep, tremendous admiration and respect. It was while I was in college. She would drive me to church because I could not get myself there in the state that I was in. She knew I was wrestling with faith, and she repeatedly, for arguably close to two years, loved on me and was kind. This Christian example. She went on, even in undergrad, she got a degree from one of the top divinity schools in the nation. She went on to get a master's degree in religious studies through Cambridge. She went on to finish her doctorate at Harvard, finishing that. She had this amazing religious pedigree. I can remember talking to her after I became a believer in Jesus Christ, thanking her for everything that she'd done in my life. And she said, Well, John, let me ask you do you really think that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? In her heart, she viewed there were many ways, and I can remember, even though I still to this day admire, love, respect, treasure, but I can remember in this moment, it was this point, and I was this new believer, I didn't even know exactly where to turn or what to say, but I just had this conviction of the soul, and it was yes, I absolutely believe it. I absolutely believe He is the Savior of the world, that He is the one we follow. We don't follow the other paths, we follow him. And I can remember the one thing I could think of was a verse out of Galatians chapter one. We're not going to turn there, but it just says, and let anyone who teaches a different gospel than this be accursed. Church, that was not a moment of my courage or bravado That was a moment simply out of a humble, imperfect, broken desire to follow Jesus, I realized I must be marked by conviction. And what is conviction? In the pursuit of Christ, it is considerate, it is caring, it is kind. But it is always uncompromising. Imagine, imagine if we really live this way that we held fast in godly conviction, what would happen? Our journey of following the way of Jesus, how much quicker would we move? How much more peace, comfort, and identity would we have? Because it builds something in us. Let's see what it builds. Let's look at the second half of verse 10. Back in chapter three. I'm gonna start from the beginning, but we're, we're focusing now on the second half of verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, and then this is it, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. We saw convictions. Now, what is he saying that happens when you follow the way of Jesus? You don't only hold fast to convictions, you hold fast to godly character. You hold fast to godly character. What what does that mean? Conviction is always meant to produce something in you and in me. What is its fruit as New Testament language says. It's this fruit of a godly character. Let's look through the ways that Paul says these characters. First, when he says, my patience. So this word, it means long-suffering. It's like you have a long fuse. I wonder, am I, not even you, am I really marked by Patience. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I I speed too often. Why? I'm in a hurry. I cut the line at checkout lines. Why? Because I'm in a hurry. I literally, when I come to a stoplight, I want to find the shortest line. Why? Because I'm in a hurry. Now, those are silly illustrations of patience. Let me give you a personal one. Yesterday morning, it's Saturday morning. I'm there. It's with family time. We're sitting down. We have the kids. I want to find a time to connect with Jesus. And the easiest way it was, was to turn on a sermon. Yesterday morning, I'm watching this sermon. I am discipling my soul. The Holy Spirit is changing me as I learn about how to be a a stronger, more faithful, in love with God, follower of Jesus. My kids are interrupting me. I'm getting angry. My wife is trying to talk to me about the message. I'm getting frustrated. Why? I'm nowhere near as patient as I wish I was. Are you patient with the people that frustrate you? If they frustrate you, probably not. Church, what do these convictions, what does it mean to produce? Increasing patience as we follow Christ. Why? There's love. The next thing Paul says is love. If you know your New Testament or you grew up in church, you know there's four different Greek words for love. This one, it's agape. It means unconditional. It's exemplified by I will sacrifice everything for you. The American language, when it comes to love, we really do have a shallow, dumbed-down, superficial use of the word. Because for us, it all too often just means desire. It's what we want. I love tacos. I really do love them. It's honestly true. I was talking about them meme before I gave this sermon. But what does it speak to? It speaks to desire. I love going to Schlitterbahn with my family. I did it for the first time last week. My daughter, Lily, she loved it. It's all this stuff. Why? Because it's this simple, fun thing. But this is love that's different. It speaks to, yes, God's unconditional desire for you and for me. But it speaks to this heart that's willing to sacrifice. Are you compelled by love? Is love what motivates you when you jump on social media? An unconditional, sacrificial, consider the others more significant. Is love what compels you when you go to community group? Even though you're tired of it, you don't like it, you don't want to do it. Is love what compels you when you fight to get to know your neighbors, to invite them over to your house, to just love on them, to hear their story, to introduce the reality of what faith means in your life and build a relationship with them? Is it love? Or is it you're supposed to? Or is it? Perhaps you're scared of what will happen if you don't. Do you see how conviction, it produces this changed character? And Paul is calling to Timothy to model and follow his character, why? It's the character of Christ. The final one that we see, steadfastness. This is the one, honestly, they're all convicting for me, but this is the one that's the most convicting. Steadfastness, it speaks to perseverance perseverance means, and we we talked about this a few weeks ago, perseverance means you push through the wall. When it gets hard, you keep going. I so consistently give up when the going gets tough. I, I would love to come and act like there's always this courage and you just drive through it, but what do I need more of? Steadfastness. Where do I find it? Following the way of Jesus. It's not from a party not from an example of some leader. You find the way of following Jesus. Can at times people give you the illustration, the beauty of that as Paul did for Timothy? Yes. But are they the ultimate example of it? Never. Only Christ. It's amazing here because what has Paul done? With convictions and with character, he said to Timothy, hey, Timothy, follow my, follow my, follow my, follow my it almost evokes within me the sense of like paul how could you be so arrogant how could you have so much hubris to look to timothy and say hey hey timothy you follow me knowing the reality of if he's saying it to timothy he's saying it to others if he's saying it to timothy i'm saying it to you to me believer the more and more i thought about it here's why i think that's true Paul's writing this letter to a church leader. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you accept and embrace this or not, here's what's true of you. You are meant to be a leader of God's people. A church leader. You are meant to lead your friends, your community group, the non-believing folks that you just gather with and hang out because it's fun and you enjoy them. Your colleagues, your employees, your children. You are meant to lead them in following after Jesus. Every follower of Jesus Christ, God wants to build into them a true integrity to say, follow me. Why? I am following Jesus Christ. This is Paul's manifesto almost with this theme. The clearest verse that I've always appreciated is 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1. Right there, Paul, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Why can Paul say, follow me? Because he says, independence, imperfectly, not with it all together. I will follow Jesus. Church, not in challenge, not in like this conviction, just gut gut punch, excuse me, but with like kind, humble, from me, imperfectly, invitation. Can you say? follow me as I follow Christ? Can you say, imitate my spiritual disciplines? Can you say, imitate my repentance? Can you say, imitate my conflict resolution? Can you say, imitate my pursuit of Sabbath? Can you say, imitate my pursuit of purity? Can you say, imitate my angst for a deeper, sincere love of Christ. You know what changes families? That. Community groups? That. Dating relationships? That. Singleness? That. This past week, I was talking with a couple. I'd gone to engage the husband about considering elder candidacy. That's something here at the Springs we're always praying for, we're talking about. I was having this conversation, I was sharing, hey, here's why I wanna have this conversation celebrating the faithfulness of this man, everything I'd seen, his reputation, what I'd known, experienced personally. His wife is there. And then we go through the end and his wife comes and she shares with me, hey, John, I completely understand and see why you would want to consider him as an elder candidate. And then she describes why. Because he sincerely loves and he wants to live for God. It wasn't this moment where she says like, "Oh, we're here for this. This is what I'm supposed to say." It almost even made the husband a, like a little uh, nervous in it. But she just talked about this sincere admiration. Was he perfect? Nope. But why? Because he had set his heart to follow the way of Jesus, imperfectly, but it was his north star. It was the beauty, and he ran towards it with conviction and allowing it to work within him because everything external is meant to come internal to produce in him character. He's been running after Jesus Christ for, I imagine, three plus decades. You know what I want when I've been running after Christ for three plus decades? I want a wife. I want friends. I want my community group. I want this body to say, John is imperfect but you can follow his life as he follows Christ. Church, that is not a statement of hubris. It is a statement of dependence on God. So what does it look like to do that? What does it look like? Like, how how would you apply that even when it comes to character? If conviction is an understanding of when it comes to God's word, do you hold it with conviction or do you hold it in opinion? And it's okay. Like, grace to you. Believer. You just gotta know where you start, because I'll, I'll give you a promise. Your character is always downstream of your conviction. So if you don't hold God's word, a pursuit of Christ, following His way with conviction, it will show up in your character. The disunity that you tolerate, the temper that you give allowance to, the disrespect of an employee, it'll show up in the character. But let's say you're holding it with conviction or you're trying to. How does this show up in your character? As I thought about it, here's one of the things that I want to work on. I want to identify one character trait, just one. Why? I get, it gets too complicated when I add too many. Do I have a lot I could add? Totally. But I'm going to pick one. The next thing you need to do is, is examine what does God's Word have to say about that character trait? For me, particularly, the one that comes to mind after reading this is that steadfastness, that call to perseverance. I, and I don't like admitting this, which is why I think I should I am generally far too soft. I think many of us are. I avoid discomfort, challenge, and pain. Does that mean God always wants to use difficulty and suffering to grow me? No, sometimes that's just the reality of a a broken world or things that happen. But sometimes he does. And what do I do? I do my best to avoid or manage. That's a character trait for me. And then I find God's word. What does it say? How do I find the truth of what is meant to be my example in a way of following him? And then the third thing that you do for this one, guys, you find a person, find someone and they won't be able to do it all for you, but find someone who exemplifies that trait. And then here would be my recommendation. Knowing it's past them, you look, you look to Jesus Christ, but you imitate their life. You want to imitate their marriage? You want to imitate their dating. You want to imitate their finances. You want to imitate their stewardship. You know where it's founded in God's word, looking past them to Christ, and then you imitate them. Some of you guys, the character trait that you should look at, especially with a heart of how do we love our community, is just becoming more friendly, more open to talking, more hospitable. Some, it's the anger, it's the apathy, it's the indifference, it's the neglect. Why? We follow the way of Jesus. Let's look at verses 11 through 13. Here's where it gets really exciting. 11 through 13, here's what Paul says to Timothy. What also does Paul call Timothy to follow? My persecutions and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's not optimism. That's called biblical realism, right? But what can you have in the midst of biblical realism? Hope. As we are on this path to follow the way of Jesus, the third thing that Paul promises, he says, here's what you must hold fast to. Hold fast in ungodly persecutions. Hold fast in ungodly persecutions persecutions is we look at this. I just want to remind some of us uh, about the passages we talked through. You can go back and listen to it. It was in chapter one. Right there, we talked about persecution and how it means something different for Timothy as it does for us today, right? Contextually here, Bible Belt, Texas, all that. It means for Timothy, it was risk of losing his life being jailed, being beaten, being imprisoned, being alienated from anyone and everyone, being exiled, that was his persecution. Are there believers today who that is their literal reality? Yes. And what is Paul promising them? All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. But what does that mean for us? We we talked about it then, and I think this is uh, increasingly true Oftentimes, the persecution that a follower of Jesus Christ faces today is moderate to severe criticism. It's when others think less of you, and some of us hate to be thought less of. Hold fast in ungodly persecution. Let's look at what Paul says. The first thing he does, I love this. He reminds Timothy of Paul's past persecutions. These were things Timothy, he would have seen one, but the other two he would have heard of. If you want to read about them, you could go read Acts 13 through 14. He lists these um, as he goes along. I love how he wrote in Antioch what happened. This is Acts 13. Paul was reviled in this city, and then he was driven out by threat of being beaten. That was Antioch. The next one was Iconium. This is Acts 14. Paul goes into the city to preach the gospel. At the end of it, he has to flee the city because they are coming to stone him. And when I say stone, I mean Chuck Rocks. The third one, Lystra. This is where it's Acts 14 again. It says that they go and they stoned him to the point where they thought that Paul was dead. Now, I I don't, it's a family worship. I don't want to be overly graphic with that. But next verse, Paul's going to promise persecution. The illustration he just gave was he was so beaten, they thought he had passed. Paul's not hiding from that. Is this our little reality? Oftentimes, no. Is it for some? Yes. But if you follow the way of Jesus, let me ask, will you, we must, hold fast in ungodly persecutions? I love, too, Paul's line, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Imagine that. Becoming conscience again, coming back, catching your breath, finding your footing. Maybe someone helped you up, maybe they didn't, and you realize, oh, it's not my time yet. I'm still here. And then giving God the credit, not for the fact that he allowed you, as you preached his message, to unsaved people that they might come to know the same hope that you have, that God rescued you from them all. Would that be your heart? Would you trust Jesus like that? That is following the way of Jesus. The next thing Paul says is it's that promise of persecution. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This verse, it's beautiful and it's terrifying. Because here's what's in it. There's an escape hatch. There's an absolute escape hatch in this verse. It says, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. So how do you remove the persecution? The escape hatch of don't desire to live a godly life. Can you be a saved believer in Jesus Christ in fake going through the motions of pursuing a godly life all the while you know you're hiding? I would be careful with it, but I believe yes. So many times we will face the false choice It's a real choice, but ultimately it's a false choice. Hey, I don't want the pain, so I'm going to diminish the conviction. Godliness is always worth it, but does it come with a cost? Yes. Final thing Paul promises, and I think too, by the way, this is something that's been completely lost in my life, and I take, I take responsibility for that, but in the American church, why? We were a part of the moral majority. We got wrapped up in the sense of moralism, and now it's declining, and now you're seeing how the beautiful church of Jesus Christ will have to thrive as a minority culture. Church, what will diminish it? It'll be persecution. Why was he persecuted? Because he stood with truth. He was uncompromising in his pursuit of following the way of Jesus. I want to live that way. I want this body to live that way, and because look, it's only going to get harder. I love how Paul, he promises that. Paul's promise, I call this, of the bad guys to come. He says at the end there, While evil people, so while we are being persecuted, the people of God who desire to live a godly life, while evil people and imposters, if you want interest on this, go back and listen to last week's message. We break this down. And imposters will go on from bad to worse. They go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. What will happen in the midst of persecution? It will go from bad to worse by leaders of bad to worse who are themselves deceived and who deceive others. Last week it talks about how we are to not only just avoid those people, if they're in the church, we avoid that, but we bid them and come to repentance. Are you okay if following the way of Jesus really costs you, like it hurts you, where people don't view you the same way, you have to change your job practice the same way? Like what would that look like? How would you feel with that sense Because here's the truth, guys. Why was Paul, Timothy, Jesus Christ, why were they persecuted? Because as they followed the way of Jesus, they clung, and this is really taught through the context of this passage, to truth. Now remember, what's the escape hatch? Diminished truth. What drives a godly life, not in legalism, but out of love? Truth. You exist in a culture today, and I say an American culture, that preaches tolerance but increasingly is intolerant of a biblical world view will you be okay with that do you hide the fact that you're a believer do you hide the fact that you read your bible do you want it to be known or is it one of those almost hush hush and then you cloak it in the sense of wanting to evangelize and not push someone off too soon even in the church. And Paul here, right here, I don't think he's speaking to even amongst Christian to Christian, but I do believe this can happen, in particular with truth. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. I think there are Christians, saved Christians, members of this body, myself at times, who when I don't want to lead a godly life and someone comes and addresses that in me, all of a sudden I bow up and I say, hey, how could you? Who are you to say that? Who are you to judge? Maybe you've used that exact language a way that this will show up amongst Christians is there will be this true call to uncompromising, lavished in the love of Jesus Christ, not condemning, but always committed obedience. You'll be mocked for it. You okay with that, church? You okay with even your believing friends mocking you for the standards of purity that you set in dating? Are you okay believing church if even believing people come and they mock you for your pursuit of godliness in the home while you try to disciple your kids and they say to you, they won't understand it anyways? Or, or my favorite, hey, do you think that's brainwashing? It's only brainwashing if it's not true. Will you be okay? We follow the way of Jesus. So what does it look like to follow in the midst of holding fast in ungodly persecution. One of the things that I think will just be a simple way to to apply this, to put this into practice in your life and in mine, is I would quickly and honestly acknowledge to others that you are a Christian. You could say, for example, follower of Jesus Christ. As you get to know folks, as they say, hey, well, what's your thought of? If it pertains, and I'm not saying you jam it down someone's throat, but say, well, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus because of that, here's what I believe. Here's what I think. Because we all know that's something we kind of hide. We put in the back pocket. We only pull it out when we have to. And I'm telling you, in conviction, and character, following Jesus, put it on the table. Let your neighbor know. Let your colleagues know. Let the parent group you hang out with, let them know. Does it mean you got to jump straight to sharing the gospel? No. But obviously, if you've been here at the Springs, we pray you do. But what do you do? Just be honest about who you are. This has been one of the most beautiful things, by the way. If you come, and you can send me an email if you disagree with this, right? One of the most beautiful things, I think, about the gay pride movement. There's this movement going on that is instoring a sense of dignity and pride that community and culture, church included, have maligned, have condemned, and have excluded. God Almighty does that to no one. He dies for all people does that mean you affirm disobedience of any kind, any sexual morality? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But one of the most beautiful things is there's been this sense of claiming, hey, here's who I am. I think it's a broken identity statement. I think the first thing that you should identify by is not your, your orientation in that way. But man, what if followers of Jesus Christ took on a banner and learned something and said, hey, I have pride. The number one thing I want you to know about me, the number one thing I want to define my identity by, the number one thing I want you to know marks my life. Follower of Jesus Christ, he died for me, he died for you, he redeemed me. All I had to do was believe, I bid you, come. Oftentimes we don't do that because we know what comes after. The eye roll, the disagreement, the condescension, the condemnation, or, hey, me too. Church, do you want to apply this? Own unapologetically, with conviction, by God's grace, your identity as a follower of the way of Jesus. We've seen this, guys, throughout this passage. Paul, he's in this beautiful manifesto of truth. It's building in its direction in where it goes, and God wants you to know it, and he wants me to know it as he's pleading in the midst of not knowing who to trust, who to listen to, where to go, what authority figure you can actually look up to. Here's what you do. Follow the way of Jesus. He is the one that will never let you down. He won't ever leave you nor forsake you. He is the role model that is always there for you. How do I do that? How do you do this, church? You hold fast to godly convictions. What God has determined to be true, don't water down, don't say is false. You hold fast to godly character. Let God produce in you something beautiful out of a love for him. You hold fast in ungodly persecution. It's the privilege of pursuing a godly life. Will it cost? Yes. Is the cost that Jesus paid for you far greater? Of course. Is this love for you far more worthy? Of course. Is this love for them that you could share it with far more majestical? Of course. Follow the way of Jesus. I want to do it in my life. Let me pray we would do it in ours. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it comes and it just cuts to the core. Lord, just as Paul called the Timothy to follow his example, as Paul followed the example of Jesus Christ, would you help us to follow you? Help us to raise up godly leaders in all the right places that we can imitate and copy, but we know they're, they're imperfect. We must see past them to see you. The pastors, the leaders, the people, the people in positions of authority They are broken shadows, but you're perfect. You're beautiful. Lord, would you grow in us an angst, a desire to simply look and live for you more and more. We need your help. It's in your name we pray, amen. Hey guys, thank y'all so much for joining. I can't wait to be back with you guys next Sunday. Y'all go, have a great week of worship. We'll see you soon.